When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Confessions of a Creative Director is brought to you by Highmark Tech Systems, the structure behind the world's best exhibits. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Confessions of a Creative Director. Thanks for tuning in to episode two. I am your host with the most... Jaime Cabrera, uh, grizzled creative director uh, of over, I don't know, like 20 years or so, I guess. But anyway, so glad you guys are here. Uh, I am having a blast doing this show. Uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback, um, you know, on the LinkedIn, getting a lot of love, a lot of people um, sharing, a lot of people showing a lot of interest. So thank you for that. Um, Again, having a, a ton of fun. Uh, so how's everybody doing? You guys doing all right? You guys h- hanging in there, uh, riding out the storm in your home, I hope, safe and healthy and happy. Uh, I know I am. I'm, uh, we're making the best of it. We're here with the fam, and, um, you know, life is good. All things considered, life is really good. So, uh, again, thank you for joining uh, Confessions of a uh, Creative Director on the show today. Is a really great gentleman, a Frenchman living in Germany currently, Julien Labat. He's a uh, my former boss over at Jack Morton. We both worked in the L.A. office of Jack Morton from about uh, I think it was about 2008 to 2011. And this guy is just really awesome, super funny, uh, just a great all around uh, person. He's got a really interesting journey. I mean, he went from being a derelict graffiti artist in the mean streets of France, Uh, maybe not a derelict, but um, all the way up to working with some of the biggest brands in the world, including uh, GM, Nike, and and others. Um, But yeah, he's he's a great he's a great guy. And he's got a really interesting confession for us at the at the end of the show, which I think a lot of us can relate to a lot of us that are in the business can really relate to. So stick around for that. And today we're launching a new segment on the show called Two Minute Hot Takes, where I get to hear Julien's thoughts on a variety of topics. He's got to do it in under two minutes to win a valuable prize. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it with Julien. Hey, Julien, how are you? Uh, very good. Thank you. Very good. Hey, nice, nice, to, to see you. nice to be here. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm very, you know, very honored. Yeah, absolutely. How are things uh, in Munich? How are things going right now with, um, you know, everything that's that's going on with um, COVID and whatnot? Well, still the same. You know, getting uh, unlocked slowly, uh, unconfined, uh, confined, as they say here. But um, yeah, getting there, getting there. Beautiful weather. You know, nothing to complain about. 
Yeah, what's the weather like right now? You mentioned the other day when we spoke that uh, you were having some nice weather and you wanted to get yeah. out and enjoy it a little bit. It's beautiful. My son was in the lake yesterday. It's just absolutely gorgeous right now. We've been very lucky. I had a one week of shitty weather, which is the week I took the holidays, of course, but the rest was amazing. <laughs> okay, excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, so as you know, part of the uh, the show is is going to be uh, having a cocktail, right? We're doing it virtually. Yes. Hopefully, Hopefully in the future we can... Uh, do it together. It's actually uh, eleven o'clock for me right now, so I I want to you know I, I wanted to rally, so I made myself a, a drink. I'm having a a paloma, which is uh, nice. silver silver tequila, club soda, a little bit of uh, grapefruit uh, soda, a little bit of salt, a little bit of, of fresh lime. So that's what I'm drinking. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm missing that. I mean, I'm kind of disappointed, nearly. Uh, well, I, I, I was really contemplating, you know, what drink I should fix myself. And I decided to actually not go for a cocktail, really, but to go for a local uh, South of France drink um, called Pestis. So it's something that, you know, most people know, but there is one brand that is right next to where I grew up called Baudouin, which is like the, the Rolls Royce of the Pestis. And I have a battle of it, which are hard to get by. So I thought I would get that. And this is basically just this and very cold water and ice. That's all. That's the way you drink it. And what, so what is it? It's a, it's kind of like a wine or? No, it's not a wine. It's a, it's alcohol with anise, fennel. Mm. It's a bunch of spices in there. And then it looks like whiskey. When you put water in it, it turns kind of opaque, you know, kind of white opaque. Um, and it has a very strong, spicy taste. And yeah. I grew up with that, uh, but that one is very special. And I've had this bottle closed for nearly a year already. So I okay. just opened it, you know. So okay. thought, there cool. you go. You know, that's the time. Well, cheers to you. So, cheers uh, to you. you know? Again, I, thank you for being on the show. And I think we're going to have we're going to have some fun. So I'm going to take a little quick sip here. Yeah. Ah, nice. Amazing. Ah, delicious. Delicious. And by the way. <laughs> By the way, I've been doing this uh, intermittent fasting, so I haven't eaten anything today. <laughs> so <laughs> things things could get a little bit wacky here on the on the podcast, but uh, we're going to go with it. <laughs> so one thing that's that's really that's really funny. Well, not funny. Maybe maybe it's not so funny for you, but one of the benefits of of what's going on, obviously terrible situation, but but one of the benefits probably is that you're not doing a lot of traveling. And you have something that I don't know if you've come up with a name for it or not, but I, I call it the Julien curse, travel curse. You have the worst luck of anybody that I know traveling. What What is up with that? Well, it's a long story. Um, someone called me, someone you know, actually called me once an airport cooler. Um, <laughs> and it kind of stuck in my head, you know, the airport cooler. Um, it's been better, uh, but f as a matter of fact, for about four years, uh, and I ended up doing some calculation because I mean, I, you know, I like <laughs> math uh, and statistics, but I realized that, um, half of my flight, half, and I'm traveling a lot, had been canceled, canceled, right? So, and then of course the other half, there was always a problem. So You're saying uh, half of every flight that you've ever yes, taken has for two been years. canceled. Had oh been canceled uh, for two years. It got it got better slowly. Um, I got to you know to be quite zen about it, quite cool, uh, meditate you know in airport lounge, uh, yeah. really take it easy. 
But it's been, yeah, they were quite rough, you know, like uh, whatever, the, the pilot not showing up or a motor, an engine failing at takeoff or there was some pretty fun a blizzard in Dallas, yeah. uh, which when is there a blizzard right. in Dallas, right? Exactly. Right? exactly. Yes, that right? Well, I had it. It was probably the only one ever, uh, <laughs> but I was stuck there for two days. Anyway, you know, great, great time, but mostly when I was in LA. Um, so it's been better, not perfect, but better since. So okay. it can kind of really get worse anyway. So Okay. Well, good. Well, hopefully when, when things get back to normal uh, or more, more normal and you start traveling again, the curse will have been broken. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, first serious question that I start off with uh, the podcast is, tell me how you describe the role of a creative director, because I think everybody sees it a little bit differently. Obviously, we all have sort of different disciplines that we work in, but how would you describe the role of a creative director? So overall, I mean, uh, I, I don't come, I, I fell into creative direction, right? That's not my, it's not the thing I started with. Right. Um, but the way I see it is really, I was trying to find a, a word before thinking about it. And I, it's really about orchestration. Orchestration, I think, is the right word. I'm trying to orchestrate uh, thoughts, um, orchestrate people, orchestrate talent, orchestrate everything. So at the end, we have one unified, you know, kind of whole, right? And uh, I nearly, although I, I cannot save, you know, my life with a guitar or any musical instrument, um, I see definitely that as an orchestration job somehow so I, I hope it makes sense but that, that's kind of how you know you need to find ways to organize structures you know it's like structures of thoughts structures of people working structures of presentation of ideas and then you put them together into something that feels you know consistent that's great that's great i recently read a, a book called the art of possibility and it's written by um, a, a gentleman who's a, a conductor. And he talks oh, yeah. about, he mm -hmm. talks a little bit about that mm -hmm. and about, you know, the posture of a, um, of somebody that's conducting the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it, it's really plain to see in that analogy, how the conductor is, is the posture and the, and the energy of the conductor is what really gets the whole thing moving exactly. he's not he's not playing the instruments no, no. but he's and keeping it all together and, and helping all the people in the orchestra shine and play their exactly parts. and and shine and play the part that's exactly the key you know i think i, I uh, you know a creative director should not feel like he can do everything because he can't you know but right just help other people do it you know all together and i think that's the key yeah yeah and I think, you know, I, I certainly have struggled with that over the years where I've, I've thought that my role was to be that guy, right? Was to mm -hmm. be the guy that's going to solve the problem. And, you know, I, I've come to realize that that's just not the case. And, and yeah. uh, for one, it's, it's impossible because, you know, the best ideas come from lots of different uh, voices and lots of different thoughts being shared. Uh, but then you're also not letting other people grow. So I've yeah. since tried to really adopt that. It's it's a little bit against my my nature because <laughs> I, I I'm just so excited and I want to get jump into things. But I realize that 
my role is is different now. So that's a great way to look at it as a as a conductor. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that's that's really, you know, that's really the way. And and of course, you know, there's one more thing is I think you need to know enough uh, when you ask someone to do something, you need to understand what they what they have to do. Right. right. As a creative director, so let's say if you work with a writer, if you work with you know a designer, an architect, you need to know enough to be dangerous with it. You no, know? um, you right. not enough to do actually the work properly, but enough to talk to them so you don't look stupid, right? Right. Um, and I think somehow that led me anyway to discovering tons of things, you know, because well, I don't know programming. Let's get into it. You know, so I can right. talk to programmers. And I right. orchestrate them all together, then they become an instrument, you know. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. But that's that's the fun part, really. So you have a super interesting um you have a super interesting background and journey. I talked a little bit about it in, in my introduction. You've bounced mm-hmm. around all over the place. You're a, a Frenchman living in Germany. You started off, I just remembered this, by the way, a few minutes ago. I think you probably started your artistic career as a graffiti artist. And I hope I'm not, <laughs> hopefully the local authorities are not not after you for anything that you've done in your past. But if I remember correctly, you were a, you were a graffiti artist. I don't remember. I think you told me what your tag was, but I, I can't remember. Yeah, the tag was Dear. D-E-A-R. Dear, actually. Weird. D-E-A-R. Yeah. 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 Weird. So that's where... That's so, where, you, where you started, yeah. But then you've yeah. you've gone and done all kinds of stuff. So I'll let you I'll let you kind of walk us through uh, your story. But it, it's fascinating. Yes, indeed. You know, uh, I'm French. I come from a. I was actually born. You know, let's go back. Born to a city in north of France called Le Havre, which has been completely destroyed during the war. It's a fantastic city to visit today. Um, and then uh, grew up in south of France uh, in a very small village in Provence. And, you know, in a small village, you get bored as a teenager. So, yes, graffiti was a good way. You know, of course, I could not afford the paints. I had to, you know, find it somehow. Uh, <laughs> and um, and really got into graffiti. And um, no one in my family is, is any artist. I mean, they're all musicians, but no one is in, in any design or anything. So I kind of got into graffiti uh, and hip-hop and DJing. Um, and basically carried on with that and, you know, studied and studied biology and then moved to architecture. Met some architects and I thought, ta-da, architecture is cool. Um, in Marseille. So I was in Marseille for a while, finished in Paris and studied naval architecture as well. Uh, you know, designed boats. Um, and um, so I ended up doing all of that. And then I was totally fed up with Paris, uh, absolutely fed up with Paris. Paris is an awful city to live in. Uh, everyone would hate me for saying that, but anyway, I, it's it said. Um, and uh, and basically, I had a chance to a friend, a guy I met who became a friend, an Australian guy, and said, You should come to Australia. Of course, I didn't speak a word of English, right? Nothing. Like, oh, is that imagine, right? At that, yeah, at that point, you didn't speak any English? Nothing, nothing. I mean, imagine, you know, the French guy growing in countryside of France. You don't need to speak, you hardly need to speak French, right? I mean, it's. Um, so no, I didn't speak a word of English. So I moved to Australia thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to learn English in Australia, which is a weird idea when you think about it. But that's what I did. Uh, got there. And, that was uh, when? What year was that, more or less? So it was 2001 when I moved to Australia. That uh, is crazy. That is crazy to me that before 2001 you did not speak no, English. No, and I mean I could not order a glass of water. I mean it was just really embarrassing. 
Um, and of course, you know, arriving in Australia, I thought, well, it's going to be French friendly, right? The, the, the custom forms are probably in French as well. Well, they were not. So I had to learn the hard way, um, you know, the little course. And, and then I met a guy in a bar who was completely wasted. And his wife is uh, is French. He's, he's an Aussie. And, um, and I was looking, I was out of this French course. I didn't have a visa yet. I was looking for a job, kind of, you know, I thought I've been there for three months. Had enough money to stay five, six months, you know, uh, let's see. And um, and I started talking with him and he said, yeah, you know, you should come tomorrow. What do you do? So we started talking and I said, oh, you should come to the office tomorrow and show me what you do. I said, all right. So I do that. So I, I go there the next day and um, a company called Design Troop at the time. And uh, go there, meet him. The guy was fresh, like he had never had a drink in his life, you know, which only the Australian can pull off. Um, you know, went to bed at five in the morning and next day, three hours later, it was totally, you know, shiny. Uh, anyway, go there, we start talking and he said, what do you think about this design? Shows me a design. And so by the time I had graduated, I'm an architect. Um, and I thought, well, it looks quite terrible. So anyway, I tell him, you know, I was like, well, <laughs> it can be better. You know, it's, it's not that great. And I mean, the sketches look very eighties. It's kind of. So he said, okay, here's the deal. We have a pitch on Monday. It was Thursday. A pitch on Monday. If you work and, and help me with that, um, I, I can, you know, I get you a job. I thought, really? Uh, okay, well, so do you have a computer? So, you know, we basically started chaining on the computer over the weekend to render and everything and modeled the, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing, really, uh, an auto show booth. Oh, it was an auto show booth, okay. A auto show booth, yeah, for Holden. Yeah, Holden being the brand of GM, you know, in Australia. And um, and basically, you know, we started, you know, working on that. And the guy basically hold on his uh, promise and got me a visa and got me a job. Oh, my God. And, uh, and the company a few months later was bought by George B. Johnson. Wow. So it became George B. Johnson Australia. So I, here I was, you know, kind of senior designer, George P. Johnson. So I've never ever designed an auto show booth. I had no idea. I've been on one once in my life. So it was quite, quite, a, um, I mean, the only thing that saved me in there, because I could, I could still hardly speak English, uh, was that I could draw. When I had a question, I would just draw it, right? So I, I would draw and then all of this, um, you know, I work with some women, some guys, and I would just like, oh, so how do you call that? You know, I draw it. And, oh, it's a race floor. Ah, cool race floor. There you go. I, I write it down, you know, and um, and basically I learned really, you know, the vocabulary that way, and stayed there. I ended up staying there until two thousand six, right? Um, and met my wife there, and uh, and then basically we had, and we're thinking, oh, should we move somewhere? Um, and by the time there was basically George B. at the time offered me to move to LA. I thought, yeah. well, LA, cool, you know, why not? And then we moved to LA, two thousand six, um, right. and uh, I was there another two years, and it didn't go so, you know, I mean, uh, Australia, cool office in the center of the city, really, you know, really cool, super cool bunch of people. George P, uh, you know, was like a lot more corporate, like especially when I went there, you know. right? So very corporate, had a hard time, and then um, basically I had chance met you know uh, the right per person in la and then uh started at jack jack morton that's um, right that's in, right came exactly. to, came to meet you. yeah yeah 2008 uh 
and stayed there until 2011. Uh, and then we decided to move to Munich, uh, mostly because by then you know, I had a kid. And so we thought, well, it might not be a bad thing to go back to, you know, to Europe and, and, and kind of, you know, find our way here. And then uh, actually decided to move to Munich. And that was very random as well. I've been to Munich only half an hour before. Uh, and I had no idea what I was getting into. I thought, ah, oh, I learned English easily in Australia. I'm going to learn German. Pah, bullshit. My German is too terrible <laughs> after eight years. Um, but anyway, ended up being quite a ride and starting then Jack Morton in uh, Germany, which okay. I'm still at. So yeah, it's been quite a, quite a ride, but cool one actually. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing, and and I still can't believe that that um, you know when I met you in two thousand and eight, you you know that that would have meant that you've been that you had been speaking English for what seven years or whatever, and I uh, I never even. I never knew that I never knew that, so that's okay. incredible. Yeah, uh, no, it 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 was really. I mean, uh, you know, I love English. I mean, but it uh, that's one thing I miss. I absolutely yeah. love it, and I love working. When I moved to um, to Jack. Uh, the first people I met were you and Jim, you know, Jim yep. Ritter. Jim Ritter, yeah. And, yeah, and, um, and my background was absolutely not into writing. You know, I'm not a writer. I'm not a creative director in a classic sense. I'm more an architect, right, a designer. And, um, and I thought, okay, I bring some design in there. But, you know, I realized how much I had to learn about writing, about expression, about, you know, finding the right word. And in English, it's bloody hard. It was like... And uh, I learned so much. I really loved, you know, shifting completely and arriving in a space where people were writers, you know. And right. I thought, oh, it's amazing. And, um, and, and I just love, you know, English as a, as a language. I think it's, a, it's fabulous. So yeah. I came up sort of the writing route, as you know, and more of mm-hmm. on the conceptual side. But I've since learned about environmental design and and how to build, you know, an activation and experience that is meaningful and, and, you know, tells a story. And I learned a lot Mm -hmm. of that, that stuff from, from you on the, on the flip side, um, as you transitioned to becoming, I guess, I guess you could call it more of a holistic creative director. How did you, um, how did you learn that side of it? Was it just through experience? Um, did you learn through, um, you know, reading books or how did you sort of make that transition? Because it's one thing mm-hmm. to be able to design a beautiful activation and environment, but it's another to um, maybe communicate it or tell the story or mm-hmm. uh, maybe that's not the right question, but I think you. No, no, I, I, I see your point. Absolutely. Um, well, which is interesting. I never really thought about it. I, I did not do, let's say, a course where I thought, okay, you know, I need to get better at writing. Nah, 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 let's do a course or write a book. Um, what I did is I did spend a lot of time observing, which is what I do anyway, uh, observing, especially um, at the time, the people that were around me that was really new, talking, you know, I remember talking with you, talking with, with Jim, um, talking with people who actually knew what they were doing. And at the end of the day, um, looking at the, even the techniques, you know, how do you come up with something? And uh, ever since, I always made sure that in my direct creative reach is a writer, someone that can really write properly. Because 
I don't, I am not a writer, you know, I can, I got a lot better, but it's not, you know, I, I, when I read something, you know, written properly, I just, I love it. And, um, and at the end of the day was a lot of uh, more self-awareness, you know, because I think you need to become self-aware of yourself in order to improve, right? So by looking at how people work, what they say, how they do, then when you read a book, you, you know, enjoy better, certain structures, the way it's written, you know, certain style, and then start thinking about it and reflect on it. And it just becomes this constant, you know, constant process, let's say. But uh, right. um, I mean, you know, I'm I'm definitely not a writer, but I absolutely love it. I love writing in English overall. You know, if I have to write a presentation, I love doing it. Um, but well, it's still, still a stretch, let's put it that way. <laughs> so... Seeing as how that is the case, how how does that influence your creative process, right? So typically, um, I like to start with I- ideas in terms of, um, I guess I see them sort of as, as stories first. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that, how does the way that you view the world, how does that affect your creative process? And, and can you describe a little bit of how, what you think the creative process or what's the creative process for you, you know, because everybody has a different one, but just give us your thoughts on, on the creative process. Yeah. So the creative process is, um, has evolved a lot. My creative process has changed. Um, I used to be, you know, you come out of architecture, you're an architect, you think in space, you solve problem in space. And when they're not in space, they're technical, right? You, you, you solve uh, complex problems in space, right? That's what an architect does. Um, and that's what I was trained, you know, and then doing naval architecture is even more constrained. It's even harder. You even have to go, you know, deeper into the meaning of every single, you know, cubic uh, inch you have in there. So um, that's where I came out of. And then I started, you know, discovering the whole theory of marketing and visitor journey and everything later when I was working. I never studied that, you know, in architecture you study, especially when I studied, it was very kind of purist approach of design and architecture. I mean, marketing is like a, a scene there, right? Um, <laughs> so you can't even bring it up. So um, I kind of discovered, uh, you know, started discovering this and then started as well, extending slowly to okay what do people if i design a space what do people do in it what can i tell a story with a space you know and for quite a long time um, for me the space was the story right so i would just imagine a, a space whatever it is shapes you know forms materials light and it was the story you go through a space this is the story and then started shifting when i actually joined jack morton and started working Again, with, with people more coming from advertisement, coming from, you know, um, the story is first, you know, the design comes second. And I started really thinking, well, actually, maybe the story is first. You know, maybe the space is the result of the story, not, not the opposite. Um, but it's still, you know, sometimes I can still balance in between, you know, depending on what I'm working on, which is mostly experiential, you know. Uh, I mean, it goes from whatever exhibition to uh, events to campaign to, I mean, it is very diverse. Um, but overall, the creative process is always about finding 
you know, what is the best way to get to the story? And the best way to get to the story is not necessarily space, not necessarily writing. It can also be a just a storytelling, a classic storytelling, or it can be technology-driven. It can be human, you know, deeply human or emotional. And same thing, a space can evoke an emotion, you know. So I think there is this very dense, I mean, that's the way I can describe it now, it's very dense network of elements you can pull, you know. And some of them are more, yeah, on the on the design side, some are more on the creative, like classic creative director side. But overall, I mean, as far as the process, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I love to get into a topic. You know, if it's a topic I don't know, I love that. I love like doing tons of research. I miss the time where I had more time to do the research. Um, I love to really, you know, yes, become the expert in whatever asthma thing. You know, I don't care. I like to learn about something. Um, and then it's very random. It always feels like I digest everything and then suddenly, para it is you know but it, it takes a little time discussion need to explain myself to different people and as i the more i said the more it becomes clear the more the path becomes clear you know and then test it you know you need to test it and test it on people you need to prototype it when it's a when it's a machine you need to you know you need to somehow build something, which is at the end what, you know, that's why I always get back to the, probably the designer roots. I like to build something at the end. Yeah, prototyping is something that um, I think is really important and something that we probably probably don't do enough of. And I think, you know, people think of prototyping as, as something that's physical, but it doesn't have to be physical, no. right? It's just mm-hmm. prototyping an idea, which could mean, sharing that 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 idea with other people and getting their thoughts on it and how you could make it stronger obviously it could be physical right if you're building a structure mm-hmm. you could build you know we've built things with with lego just to kind of yeah. understand what um what the presence is going to feel like so I, I like the idea of of prototyping before you really go you know you go continue to go down a, a certain path because i think that that allows you to refine it and yeah, and I think prototyping uh, to me is um, is going back to play. You know, when you play as a kid, you play, you build stuff. Um, you don't build reality. You build an idea. You build a perception. Um, and to me, prototyping is a bit like that. Of course, you can prototype electronics and then you do testing and you learn from it. And uh, um, But the beginning of prototyping is always, you know, a an idea you have in, in your in your head that becomes physical. It's like the first, you know, you, you crystallize, crystallize it nearly, you know, and it becomes something that never works the first time, you know. But that process is very precious, I think. That's the most interesting part, actually. And, and you know, if I had to really focus on one thing, the, the transition of the idea to a first, you know, physicality, I think is the most interesting part of what I do. <laughs> you mentioned not having enough or feeling like you don't have enough time mm-hmm. um, to do these things some, sometimes, right? Do you think um, that given everything that's going on right now, that timelines are going to get even more compressed and you're going to be ha- having to move faster to prototyping? Because I always like to say fast pro- about prototyping, right? Mm-hmm. Are we going to have to move to an even faster level of of going to market with ideas? What, what's your thought on that? Because that's kind of what I'm feeling is that things are going to start moving even faster. 
What do you think? Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I think unfortunately there is an overall uh, trend. I think it's been dri- dri- driven by um, you know this. I think it's been driven by new technologies overall. You know, there is this feeling that everything is instant. And of course, you go on, you know, you get these amazing apps, you get these amazing devices, you want to reach someone, da da da, here it is. And I think somehow that has a bit of a curse on our industry where our clients and brands end up thinking the same way. They want something instantly. And what they, what people don't realize is because it has been designed to be so intuitive and easy, they don't realize the thousands of hours of sweat that goes behind it because it's just perfect. It works really well. And we don't have this luxury, right? So I do think that things are accelerating. And at the end of the day, it it takes away a lot of the... Um, you know, the, 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 the fun of doing the job, you know, and I mean, I really hope that at one stage we can find a balance, right. uh, but so far, especially I would say the last four to five years and in Germany, you know, it's crazy. I mean, the competition is, is totally crazy. It's very rough market and you feel like, you know, everything is always faster and everyone is always delivering more within the time and it's just, a, I think it's a, it's a rat race, really. Um, I don't think anyone would win out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, we need to, I mean, that's why I started doing, you know, whatever stuff on the side, hobbies, uh, where I have time. Because the time is gone. You know, the, the time from thinking, sitting on an idea, crafting it, you know, doing it really well, that worked years ago. But, you know, I was probably not even working already. Uh, at that time, and but it's gone, you know, that this is not, and, and I'm not sure it will come back. The only thing that might be an interesting thought behind that is um, the development of some tools that bridge, that basically take away part of the work we have to do and allow us to win, to gain time. So if you think whatever AI-based, you know, uh, decision engines on uh, design, you know, why not? You know, you... I mean, a million events have been done already. It's not like you have right. to do every time you do a new event. It's more or less a cut and paste of an old one. Right. Why can't we have an engine that say, "Tada! Here's your event now. You you just gained four days of thinking." Right. <laughs> um, right, right, right. I'm not there yet. You know, I I, I hope to program <laughs> that one day, but. <laughs> You'll be a rich man. You know what's <laughs> funny is. Or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny is that I was thinking about this when you were talking about how our culture has changed so much and we live in an, in an on-demand culture, right? Mm-hmm. And I just remembered that you were the first person that I knew that used Uber. I remember yeah. mm-hmm. specifically you going to the airport or saying <laughs> and saying, oh, I'm using an Uber. And I'm like, what is, what is that? <laughs> right. So you're, you're definitely, a, um, you're, you're to blame for this on-demand culture. It was, <laughs> it was you and your early adoption that has caused us to get into this mess. No, I'm kidding. But um, it is, it is interesting. And I think that it has mm-hmm. had an effect on um, the way that, that people and, and clients and companies want to they want things on demand yeah. and i don't i don't think necessarily that it's that it's a, a bad thing but it is definitely uh you know definitely puts a lot of on a lot of strain well, on the process 
Yeah, and, and at the end of the day, I think it does reduce the, the quality. You know, I, I cannot, I mean, of course, sometimes you have this incredible idea, but I do think that putting, you know, it's a curve, right? It's kind of the bell curve, right? At the top of it is the best quality you can get. But the more you reduce the time, the more you start, you know, if you have endless time, it, w- it won't get better necessarily. But if you reduce, right. reduce, reduce, at one stage, you reduce too much and then the quality starts going down. And I think we have entered that, you know, that era and where everything is more or less a slingshot, you know. And however, interestingly enough, the, the current crisis with the corona and COVID-19 and all that has brought some very interesting briefs where I decided to answer them as just a snap idea, okay? Here's five ideas, one slide, that's it. That's all you get, you know? And because people are so shaken out of their their roots and their habits and procurement, you know, screaming at them, and they're a lot more open to that, you know, than they were even a few months ago. Uh, But I I don't expect that to last, you know? I think it's going to fall back Mm. into old habits and, you know, but yeah. Yeah, and, and that also leads me, and, and this is probably a, a topic for another time, but I also think that it's going to change and it is is changing the agency model mm-hmm. um, in terms of how we're going to work with clients in the future. And again, that's probably you know a whole rabbit hole that we could go down, but I, I do yeah. think that, that's, that it's going to change. Do you agree with that? That combined with what we just talked about of this on-demand mm-hmm. culture and you know, I just feel like there's going to have to be some major shifts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there will be a, a breaking point, you know, where the model that exists today will not be viable anymore. And I think some some models are already working in parallel uh, with that kind of acceleration, like consulting, if you think consulting, the big consulting groups, whatever they are, that's what they do. You know, they, yep. they sell knowledge. They don't sell a finished idea. They don't sell, they sell a process to get there. And I do believe that, um, you know, if I had to create an agency today, I think I would focus on that. I would focus on consulting people to get to the right spot and not just delivering the final product. Because right. at the end of the day, the more we compress you know, budgets and time and everything, the less there is to to work with. And at the end, there there is nothing. And yet on the client side, there is still time, there is still, you know, uh, resources to get to, there is a will to get something good, right? I mean, it's not like they're cutting time and thinking, now we're going to get something shitty, you know, and we have (laughs) no time. They still want something crazy uh, and really good. So I do think that there will likely be Maybe a shift at one stage, um, you know, toward more this, it's not necessarily consulting, but, you know, this model that is a bit of a hybrid model where you, you really work, you know, it's about workshops, it's about working out what people need versus taking what they think they need and try to make something out of it. Um, so I want to take a, a short little break here to, uh, to acknowledge our, our sponsors. But before we do that, we're going to play a little game that I call... <laughs> Two-minute hot takes, okay? I'm going to give you two minutes on the clock, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you some multiple-choice little uh, dilemmas here, 
And <laughs> you have to answer all of these these questions or else you're not going to win your, your valuable prize. So I'm going to set a all timer right. for two minutes. So answer, give me your choice. And then as quickly as you can, tell me why. So I'm going to set a timer here. On okay, my so I need to say why as well. Right. You, you have quick. to pick. You have to pick. You'll see what I. You see what I'm talking yeah, about okay. here. Um, so I'm going to set the timer, and we're going now. Okay, silver truss or black truss? Uh, black truss. Yeah, there's no question about it. Black is cool, although I think the future is no truss. No truss. Okay, I like <laughs> it. Okay, AR versus VR. Ooh, good question. Uh, AR. I think AR. VR is too is too much. You you you're in your bubble. It's kind of weird. I think AR is cool. Uh, you can do a lot a lot of stuff. You know. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Influencer marketing bullshit or brilliant? Um. Uh. sixty percent mm, bullshit. Forty percent brilliant. I'm saying more 80-20 okay. bullshit. 8020, okay. I, I kind of agree with that. I think um it's a big it's a big buzzword and it's bloody hard to use. And at the end of the day, who gives a shit? But um <laughs> I believe, I believe in it when it's just someone you know really well that can influence you. Yes, but we're not at that level yet. Okay. Instagram or Facebook? Um Instagram right now. I think it's okay. actually more interesting. Facebook okay. has become quite quite heavy. Uh, okay. You have forty. You have like forty-five seconds. Okay, okay. books or b- books or ebooks. Ah, ebooks. Uh, no oh, question. Really? Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I read tons of books because I never watch TV. So I read, you know, at least one book a week or two. Um, and without an ebook, I would be totally uh, buried in the books. So I think it's, it's it's fabulous. Okay, I pegged you for a for a book guy. Okay, here I'm gonna get you in trouble. Here, French wine or German beer. Ah, French wine, no question. Oh. I know that the, the German would hate me for that, but now you know. Uh, although I would say Australian wine, you know, Western, okay. Western Australian wine, yeah. But uh, no, wine is still. You know, I love the beer here in Munich; it's amazing. But a good glass of wine is a good glass of wine. Oh, we still had some questions to go. Oh, you're, you're, you'll still, you'll still win your valuable prize. That's okay. all right. Okay, this, so okay. Okay, let me ask you. No, it's okay. Maybe I might have to give more time, but let's let's finish it out here. Steve Jobs or Elon Musk? Uh, Elon Musk. I like the vision of the guy, you know, um, and and how diverse, how, how diverse, you know, the the diversity of his thinking uh, is something I never felt with really anyone else, and that's what I, you know, I think is quite amazing. Digital camera or film camera? Oh, <laughs> good question. Um, well, if I could still shoot film, I would. Uh, but a really good digital camera is cool too. But film still is in my blood. You know, I still shoot film from time to time. Okay, L.A. or New York? L.A., no question. Really? All yeah. right. Yeah, L.A. Awesome. I mean, I don't know if I really have to explain that, but just... Just LA, maybe because I live there and my daughter was born there. I don't know, but LA. Okay, cool. And last one. This is this is this is a tough one. Okay, I, well, maybe maybe it's not a tough one for you, but I'm putting you on the on the spot here. French or American rap? Ah, very interesting. Uh, French, French, yeah, French. I mean. You know, both of them are great. And of course, 
I love, you know, American rap. I mean, I, I grew up on it and, you know, I just, I, mean, I still love it. West Coast, East Coast, whatever. Um, I, st- I have tons of records, uh, you know, of American rap. But the French one, maybe it's because of the language, which is bloody hard to play with. Um, I just, I just love it. You know, good French uh, hip hop artists can do incredible stuff that I think it's just two different worlds. You know, the, the English right. one, you know, hip hop is on for English. It sounds amazing in English, uh, but in French, when you can put it off, it's, it's incredible too. So, but French, yeah, I, I would never, if I had to give my records away, I would give the American one first. That's a good way to put it. So, uh, <laughs> What what is your your top uh, artist in French rap artist before we go to break here? Um, whoa, a good question. Um, Hip hop artist, I think right now Nekfeu or Orelson, um, pretty amazing stuff. Really, really edgy. Um, but I mean, I love classic, you know, hip hop. I am NTM, you know, Solar. All of that. I mean, they're, they're all test tons of them. What I don't like is the the more complex, you know, over orchestrated, over produced uh, stuff, whatever booba, all of that. I don't like in French uh, hip hop. But the more down to earth, one DJ, one mic, you know, there you go. If the guy all can right. pull this off, then it's golden. Okay, cool. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of Julien Labas on Confessions of a Creative Director. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, it's Jaime. If you want to make your own podcast, you need to check out Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about it. It's free, which is awesome if you're just trying this out. There's tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And the best thing of all is that Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make some money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to Anchor FM to get started. All right, and we're back with my good friend and former boss who I learned a whole lot from, uh, Julien Labas. And uh, so let me ask you this question. If you weren't a creative director, what do you think that you would be? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? What I want to be when I grow up? You know, there's a few things, actually. Uh, I don't think I would actually be an architect. I know the reality of that job, although that's what I trained for. Maybe I'd love to be just building equipment, you know, building yeah. stuff, designing stuff, uh, building hi-fi equipment, right? Speakers, amplifiers, preamplifiers, turntables, you name it. Uh, the, the, the whole thing is, you know, I'm quite a, kind of a bit of a purist in there. Uh, no digital uh, signal, so all analog, uh, all simple, all valve mostly. And try to keep it as simple as possible. And what I... You know, I came to that for two reasons. First, I always, you know, I, I was DJing for a long time and always had a lot of records and really loved listening to analog audio. And um, and years ago, a friend of mine made me listen to this incredible sound system. And I thought, oh, man, I need that. You know? And I looked at the price and I thought, 
I really don't need it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even an option. And then I discussed with another guy, another guy, and one that had built his own amplifier and was like, yeah, you know, I can do this, can do that. So I started getting into that and I realized, shit, you can build, you know, something incredible for a fraction of the price buying it. So I thought, well, then let's learn that. And um, and got into it. It's a rabbit hole, of course, like any kind of hobby. Uh, but to what I said before, I have time with it, right? I have time. Yeah. If it takes me four years to build something, it takes me four years. I can take the time. Every single time, uh, time I spend on it, I have no pressure, right? And I love that. So, I'm, so I have a bunch of projects open. I've built a bunch of stuff already. And it's a rare hobby where you can turn it on every day and listen to it, right? So my entire hi-fi system is homemade. It sounds fabulous. And I can just put a record every day. And I love it. And if I could, you know, reboot what I'm doing uh, and had the money, let's say, because of course, don't necessarily earn a lot with that. I think that's what I would do. I would just prototype stuff and work with good designers and basically more or less do what I do now. Not necessarily come up with the most amazing new things. But actually go and pick these guys who do great thinking and put them together and make products out of it. And that, you know, need like a kind of a collaboration, you know, of, uh, of, of bringing these talents together. These guys who are like crazy electronic guys, but they, you know, they're like mushrooms, you know, they, they live in the dark <laughs> and they, they, they haven't seen the, the light of the day in years. And, and <laughs> take them and take their hand and say, hey, let's do something cool, you know. Uh, yeah. I think that's what I would do. You know, that and teaching. I always loved teaching and um, really? I was studying, I was teaching. Yeah, I, I always loved it. Uh, I've been doing it a little bit here, a little bit in Australia. I didn't do it in the US, but I, I would love to go back into, you know, teaching design, teaching, you know, whatever, architecture, not architecture, because I'm not an architect really, like building stuff, but teaching what I know how to do, you know, and that I would love to. Yeah. Excellent. What's the best piece of advice or the best lesson you've ever learned from a mentor? It's a, it's a great question, actually, because at the end of the day, um, first, you know, you need to define what a mentor is, right? But I think um, the, the, what probably of the best thing I've learned is to stay humble uh, when you work with people to take the time to listen to them and to build a sense of, you know, build trust, basically. You know, you you need to build respect and trust. And when that comes, um, suddenly these people will, first they will do anything to do their job properly. You know, they will be really going quite far to really do the job well. They will really put their heart into it. And um, as, a, as a reward, you will also learn a lot, you know, because they will be a lot open to sharing how they do things. And at the end of the day, one, you know, one really think, you know, one, one thing I really learned is, is kind of the humility, you know, just, just be, you know, listen, be clever, but don't, you know, don't override people. Let them do what they can do. Don't expect uh, so that they, you know, put huge pressure on them and, they, you know, uh, no, you just need to just be humble, I think, at the end of the day. And uh, that's really one of the main, um, you know, main 
advice and, and also as a, as a person, um, I think what you should seek, you know, what, you know, and that's something I learned from a guy who was, I had nothing to do with creative direction. He's an accountant. But he always told me, you know, um, the way you present something is very important, right? You can have the best idea, you can have the best thing. If you can't present it properly, if you can't package it properly, it will look like shit and it will be shit, no matter what's inside, you know? And so you have to really, you know, kind of work on that as well, find the, the, the right way. Yeah, and then one last thing I would say, so would be about, um, you know, to not, that's another guy that told me that actually was uh, was one of my teacher. Um, he always said, you know, you you the title you have is not relevant. What's relevant is the respect people have for you. You know, if you're respected in your industry, you can be no one. You can have studied nothing, and yet you have a huge respect because there's something you can do, a way you can do it that others can't do. And you build this relationship and you build this respect. And at the end of the day, you can meet the guy with the biggest title and they're useless, you know, and you can meet the guy who has, you know, just comes out of the wood and he can help you immensely, you know. And yeah, that's kind of uh, the respect versus title is something that stuck with me, really. Yeah, and I, and I you know, having having worked for you for a few years, I can say that you honestly walk that walk because I, I do believe that you are, you. you are a very uh, humble person. I certainly learned a lot from you and, and have a ton of respect for you. So um, I think those are all valuable things. And, and, uh, and I, I definitely think that you embody that and you live that. So. Um, cool. Thank you. That's a that. great, great compliment. Thanks for that. <laughs> all right. So we've come to the moment in the show where we have to yes. pay off. The, we have to pay off the title of the show. Otherwise I'm going to have to change it. <laughs> You know, and I don't want to. I don't want to do that just yet because this is only my second episode. But um, if you could, uh, you know, you don't say share anything that's going to get both you and I fired. But um, <laughs> what is your confession of a creative director? Well, you know, I there's a few things, maybe. Oh, it's like it's going to turn into a little therapy yeah, here. Yeah, gonna... yeah, yeah. You know, there's a few things. I mean, uh, first, I would say, I mean, let's see how much trouble we get with that. But um, <laughs> I have to say, talking about this acceleration and this craziness and the travel and everything, um, there's part of that I can't really stand. You know, I feel like it's all bullshit. You know? Yeah. Why do I have to travel so far for a meeting? Why do I have to? you know, be always ready on the spot, you know. And I feel like, you know, fuck off, you know. I don't, <laughs> I don't you know, sometimes I feel like I don't care. It's like, okay, yeah. I show up, and if it goes well, it goes well. If it doesn't, I don't care, you know. <laughs> and, um, and this is maybe, you know, a little weird. So that's one thing. But another thing as well is, and I, I touched on that before, you know, I live in Germany. I more or less started, you know, Chuck Morton in Germany, some help, of course, of Jens and other guys. Um, and I lived in Germany for nine years. My wife is German. My kid's going to a German school, and I don't fucking speak German. Mm -hmm. And um, this is totally ridiculous. And sometimes I'm quite actually ashamed of it. And sometimes 
I don't care at all. <laughs> and, so they could... and it was was kind of a curve where you know for a long time I really thought, oh, I need to do the course and do that. And then at past this point, with very, you know, I became very kind of lightness, you know, where I thought it's too late. I don't need to care anymore. It's good, right. you know. That's it. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a lot of, you know, let's say, you know. Not business is skeleton hidden everywhere. No, but, those are those are good. I mean, but, those are definitely uh, good. You know, the, the the not standing the travel anymore is a big one. You know, yeah, I mean, and I yeah. think. Yeah. Sorry, you want to finish that thought? Yeah, just I would I would say you know for that the corona thing is is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've been great grateful. You know, I'm I'm fortunate. To not suffer right. through it, you know. But um, looking at the positive side, it's it's pretty amazing. Can actually reflect on that. Take a yeah. break. Yeah, and I don't know if you've read the book, and I, it's escaping me. I read it. Um, I think it's called "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck" or something like that. <laughs> um, but what it what the the premise of it is that you have to save your give a fucks, yeah. right? So in other yeah. words. If you give a fuck about everything, then you don't have anything else to give. So by yeah. you saying that you don't care uh, about those things, what it really means is that you care about the things that are actually important, right? And sometimes, yeah. especially in our business, it comes down to things that are not important. It's the dog and pony show. It's the, mm -hmm. you know, answer the email within um, 10 minutes, you know. Yeah all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. And that stuff is not important. And, and you're right. It's like, I don't want to care about that stuff. I want to no. care about uh, the things that matter. I want to care about doing uh, good work. I want to care about, you know, taking care of my team. I want to take care of, um, you know, taking care of my family and not just mm -hmm. working all the time. So in a sense, you know, when you say you don't care, it really means you do care, but you care about the things that are important. Yes, and, and actually for that matter, there is one thing uh, you know I've been thinking about, and maybe it's part that confession, I'm not sure. But you know, I wish the the industry we're in is full of people who are very bright, very agile, they can go through any you know mouse hole and you know transform their brain and take on any challenge, right? And uh, because that's the nature of the event industry and I've been thinking for a while, especially when I was this big fire in Australia, I had a good chat with an Australian friend and, um, and realized because he, he said, well, you know, well, I used to, he used to be in this industry too and he's not anymore. And he said, why, why aren't you guys using your brain power to solve bigger problems? And I thought, yeah, I've been thinking about that for a long time. Yeah. I never got to it. You know, I never got to organize nearly like the structure of people, you know, like you, like, like, you know, creative people, thinkers, you know, makers, and nearly give a little side thing to do that if you accumulate all of the small pieces together, you actually get to a real, you know, a real result, right? Uh, that can be more, you know, more human, more, you know, something good. And I'm not saying I'm just going to save the world, you know, it's not the, it's not the idea. We can't do that, uh, I think. But just, you know, find a little um, little idea, but by nearly like taking all of these people, all of these brains and, and squeezing them, you know, for the right reason, not just for the sake of a bloody contract or, or right. deadline. 
So anyway. yeah, I like that. I like that, and I think uh, I think we should talk more about that and and actually, you know, get together more often and and, and do that. I love talking to you. I miss talking to you. Uh, we definitely Thank need you. to do that. Do that some more. One other thing that I love about you is your sense of humor, and um, <laughs> I want to I want to end our our podcast today with one of my favorite memories from when you we worked together. And one day I was working on my computer, and I'm notorious for you know touching my screen and and just you know getting getting fingerprints all over it. And you walked over and in a in a very in a very nonchalant manner looked at my screen and you said. It looks like you cleaned your screen with a piece of ham. <laughs> and then you just walked away. And to this day, it's one of the funniest things that anybody has ever said to me. Because you just said it so deadpan. It looks like you cleaned your screen with a piece of ham. And then you just walked away. So anyway, I love you. Thank you for joining the show. Um, Again, let's let's keep in touch and um, best of uh, best wishes to you and your family, your beautiful family. And I hope next time you're uh, in L.A., we finally get to see each other. We're always missing each other, but uh, I hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was really a a, a great time speaking with you as always. Thank you. Take care, my friend. (laughs) Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. And there you have it, folks. Episode two of Confessions of a Creative Director in the books. My special thanks to Julian Labat for joining us today. What a great guy, huh? Great story. Hey, so we're now available wherever you find podcasts. So be sure and subscribe. We're on Spotify, we're on Google, and more are on the way. So you should be able to find us wherever. Also, check out the website, cdconfessions.com. I'm working on that, trying to update that, get links in there from uh, for books that we've talked about and uh, other references, as well as more detailed information on my guests. Our theme music was composed by, I still don't know, trying to track that song down. Uh, So if anybody knows who performs, make the logo bigger, please let me know so I can get in touch with them. Special thanks also to our wonderful sponsor, Highmark Tech Systems. You can find more information about them at highmarktech.com. Playing us out, as usual, is yours truly, Jay Cabrera. This song is from my song club. It's called Drugs and Alcohol, which I don't, I don't condone. Please, please don't overindulge in those things. All right, until next time, I'm Jaime Cabrera. This is Confessions of a Creative Director. See you next time. Bye-bye.